0: It's Thursday, June 23rd. It's tournament time. The Real Talk Golf Classic goes later today. Ryan Jesperson with you. John Hicks here. We're both very excited. It's going to be a bit of an abbreviated version of the show. Just a bit because we got to get our butts out to the Ranch Golf and Country Club for our shotgun start this afternoon. Very much looking forward to it. I, yeah. I, I see that you elected not to wear our matching outfits, <sighs> at least for the show today.
1: I was going to. And then I was like, we might look like we work like in a mall trying to sign people <laughs> up for new cell phone services. Or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Matching golf shirts, <laughs> matching pants <laughs> yeah. and stark white shoes. Uh, it's going to be a great day. We have a packed tee sheet, obviously raising money for our Real Talk Julie Rohr scholarship. And we're thrilled that we have so many golf joining us, volunteers, sponsors as well. I see a bunch of names on the T-sheet and names on the volunteer sheet, people that I've not yet met, but they're very familiar names. I feel like they're friends already. So it's going to be a great day. We're looking forward to it. Rebecca Schultz coming up in just a few moments. She's the uh, recently resigned Minister of Children's Services. No scandal as far as we know. I'm being facetious. She wants to run for the UCP leadership. She is. She declared on Tuesday. She's seeking leadership of that party, which of course, would make her Alberta's next premier, whoever wins. And uh, that's the theme of today's Trash Talk, by the way, a Thursday edition of Trash Talk. And Lonnie is going to be in the spotlight today. I think this might be maybe not the first in the show's history because we've been doing it for about a year and a half now, but one of the only times that Trash Talk is one email. But Lonnie wrote us an essay but it's a good oh, this one. This
1: is the email you were talking this about. This is the
0: email I was talking about yesterday that touches on the UCP leadership race. And yeah. it's bigger than that, though. It's talking about politics and who decides who is installed into positions of power. It's an interesting uh talking uh, i don't want to say talking point that sounds kind of dismissive but it's it's a good one because lonnie is planting the seed in our brains and we can ruminate on it over the next few days uh and then of course you can be in touch anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. rebecca schultz coming up we're going to show you video that pains my heart (laughs) out of new york city i don't Mm. know what the deal i mean we do know what the deal is but illegal dirt bikes and atvs crushed yeah. by a, a big bulldozer at the order of New York City's mayor, Eric Adams. Big
1: problem in New York. I was reading about it. Like, Is that right?
0: Unlicensed, unregistered, you know, young kids,
1: 15, 14, 16, driving these things around in the uh, back alleys and side streets. So.
0: But yeah, I, I mean, I get the whole messaging thing. I mean, look at this. We're talking about it way up here in Edmonton, Alberta. It yeah, we works. No it works. <laughs> but the the idea of just absolutely destroying these machines yeah, that were like, seized by you police could you sell them and use the money for could charity to, or... could you i'm sure that maybe they've thought of these things i don't know but it's it's a pretty it's when they see those the, you know the so-called street racers too you know, people that have, like, the tuner cars? Of course. You know, the whatever they are, like the, the Subarus and the Hondas, and Man. all this slammed with the big exhausts and everything, and sometimes they got the neon lights under. Yeah. I've always appreciated that touch, the neon lights.
1: It kind of seems like a revenge tactic to it me. It does. There's no, like, nobody wins. You know? yeah. yeah.
0: It's like the parent that takes the kid's iPad, they've had enough, and they throw the iPad in the pool, and you're yeah. like, that is next level. So that's all coming up on Thursday's show today. It's presented by our good friends at Bitcoin Well who want us to remind you that it's never been easier or more convenient to buy Bitcoin using e-transfer. It's the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin online and you can learn why by checking out the resources on their website, bitcoinwell.com. They want you to know that if you sign up for an account with Bitcoin, well, you can try buying with e-transfer. It takes like two minutes the first time. Every purchase after that can be done directly from your banking app. It's the ultimate one touch Bitcoin buying experience. Never take financial advice from me. Do not take this as me telling you to buy Bitcoin nor sell it if you have it. But if you have questions, I recommend you ask the team at Bitcoin Well, you find them on the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
2: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: Donna on the chat says, New York doesn't have back alleys. I meant like side streets <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. See, we don't know anything about New
0: York. We're not there. Is that true? What do you mean doesn't have back alleys? It has to have back alleys. Hardly, I see them in all the... Uh... She says hardly any. Okay, I hardly I believe
1: any. it. Well, I think the real estate is pretty packed to the brim yeah. in most okay. places. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, that that's an interesting point. I was thinking of, well, where did Bruce Wayne's parents get killed? But, of course, that's Eggs. Gotham. That's not New York. <laughs> it's Gotham. And so that's a very fair point. Um, Dwayne says that Peter Frampton threw a woman's smartphone away after she can to film at one of his concerts. Interesting. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting move these days, isn't it? There are some artists, uh, you, you might be able to cite some specific ones. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but they have these new kind of like the, they're like industrial strength. They're not Ziploc baggies, but when you go to the show, you check your phone in, you sign mm-hmm. your phone in, you put it in one of these, uh, you know, clear bags.
1: Get it at, back out. And then. basically
0: register it, and you can get your phone back after the show. And by the way, on the chat, Dwayne yeah, says, I Donna noticed. Donna didn't say that, I did. Dwayne wants, his, Dwayne wants his two points. You know, I'll just shut up
1: today. I made two mistakes in ten minutes.
0: What was your first one?
1: Well, saying that New York had back out. Yeah,
0: I think that's up for debate. <laughs> um, I have nothing to base this on. I'm not from New York. I've not ever lived in new york my time in new york has been very limited I'm googling it now. which means i went to the airport one time in new york i've never actually spent more than 30 minutes in new york city which is a total disgrace i realize mm. and people are gonna be like well what are you even doing with your life
1: i've never been i've always wanted to go at christmas time
0: yeah that
1: would be place. incredible it's a really christmas. special place around the holidays yeah. new
0: year's eve times square although my brother went uh with his wife his girlfriend at the time i think to to times square for new year's eve And you got to get in place like hours before anything starts if you want to be there. (laughs) He told me there's like people peeing and empty, like you know they had like their empty Sprite bottles and they're going pee there because they didn't have time to go find a washroom because they'd lose their spot. And I thought that sounds a little bit miserable, but being there during the celebration would probably be pretty cool. Yeah, you'd want to be able to say I was there, right? Jillian says some comedians don't want to be filmed because then they can get canceled over jokes that were taken out of context. Yeah.
1: So I looked it up. There are alleys in New York. But of course, the, there's alleys the in New York. Majority of them are in the bur, are in the outer. They're not like Manhattan. There's there's hardly any.
0: Now, there. do we know if these illegal dirt bikes are being driven anywhere other than rumored or reported alleyways? Perhaps they're also being driven on the streets of the boroughs.
1: I don't know, but this video is gonna.
0: This video is <laughs> gonna is gonna settle it all. Uh why let's just we can just talk about it. Well, we, I don't I don't want to leave Rebecca Schultz sitting here, but former minister Schultz when she gets here, we'll get to her. So this is the deal. Um do you want to just roll it? Let's do it. Listen, now for people listening on the you you can hear this and what you're hearing is the crunch of like more than a, so get this. Uh, the mayor in New York, Eric Adams, directed this enforcement campaign, obviously carried out by police officers, I'm sure by law officers as well, intended to curb what they call the nuisance of off road vehicles being driven in swarms on city streets. In the mayor's words, terrorizing the metropolis. And so this was a sweeping campaign that led to the confiscation of approximately nine hundred bikes and ATVs. What's the average dirt bike? Like I'm not talking used. If you talk new, what's a dirt bike? Six, seven, eight, nine, I'm sure that there's three dirt thousand bikes. Bucks. There's probably like, dirt bikes that are fifteen grand. I'm sure you can used,
1: but these don't look used. These look like yeah, these, so
0: let's let's call these like is this an average of like three thousand dollars a bike? I would say something that. like that. Uh, He says it's a public safety issue, the mayor does, and he says it's, it's a bigger issue than bikes just being undocumented. They're operated by uninsured drivers and says in many urban centers where these ATV or dirt bike gangs, they're calling them, are prevalent. Vehicles are often stolen from surrounding suburbs. Now, why does it matter if they're not insured? It doesn't matter. They're not talking about the bike getting wrecked. They're talking about people potentially getting hit by these vehicles. People incur medical costs. You're in the United States. You don't get, you know, that's going to be like, what is that going to be in the hospital? Seven grand a day or something wild. So brace yourself, podcast listeners. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see, you know exactly what it is. Check this out. This bulldozer. This. Oh, man. There's the mayor waving the checkered flag. Never one to miss a photo op. The mayor of New York. Although who can blame him if there ever was a photo op? This is it. Oh my gosh, up goes the front-end loader and here's the crunch. Oh, it just, oh, I mean. That is a lot of bikes. (laughs) It's, it's literally like dozens and dozens and dozens. Oh, I don't even own a dirt bike. I'm not even a dirt bike guy. Was there a charity that could have used these bikes? Could they have donated them to a kid's bike, can- dirt bike? Can- I don't know. Oh, how does that make you? I mean, I know some people probably are watching this and loving it. This I is think probably- so. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then the bulldozer now is just backing over them. What would you say? That's going to be hundred bikes there, at least. For a lot of money. And there's
1: an ATV there. So the mayor says they work closely with their uh, ATVs.
0: They are not only a nuisance and an annoyance uh, to us, uh, but they're extremely dangerous. And we know that. We
2: see them all the time and we hear them all times at night. Uh, We see the large numbers that are moving throughout our street. And we
0: want to be clear that uh, this is not acceptable. Yeah, so Karen goes, why couldn't they sell them and use them for social programs for the city?
1: Yeah, not just dirt bikes. Though. There were a few, like... Scooters? Yeah, there were a few, like, uh, you know... like There was
0: all kinds of vehicles that had been confiscated. And uh, so I don't know if you can tell, but, the, but by the way that the mayor talks, he's, like, very matter-of-fact. The way that he assesses the situation, he's a former law enforcement officer. Yeah. Maybe that's that's got to have something to do with this. It was probably, like... You know, 21 years ago when Constable Adams was on patrol, yeah. some ne'er-do-well on a dirt bike looked at him and gave him the bird. Maybe before. there was
1: just one biker. You know how they have, like, the, the cops say, the whale Yeah, that I could never catch. Maybe there was just one that irked him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he was asked by reporters, by journalists, you know, just like people in our live chat right now. Um, he's, you know, whether or not they thought about maybe trying to sell these or maybe trying to, you know, pri- provide venues for for enthusiasts, ATV drivers, dirt bikers who want to enjoy their hobby safely and legally, maybe keeping riders off public roads entirely. And, and he said, uh, he said, I'm dead on with you, said the mayor. I loved riding. Get this. He says, I loved riding dirt bikes when I was a kid. And so I think it's crucial that we have those spaces and we're going to look at some of the spaces out there to allow them to ride. So that was going on in New York. That's pretty wild stuff. Also, last night, I don't know if you're caught up in the controversy. Are you about too many men on the ice with the Colorado Avalanche game four of the Stanley Cup final? I know Andrew Walker will talk about it today on The Hedge. Sure he will. (laughs) At the com. Six Colorado skaters on the ice. Uh, Nazem Kadri was the one who comes onto the ice as the sixth player, goes on to score the goal that puts the Colorado Avalanche up three-one in that series. And I mean, if Tampa is going to come back from this, it yeah. would be. Uh,
1: I think it's pretty lights out. I, I
0: think it's lights yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's. I think good. that Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and and uh, Gabe Landeskog in that team. Deserving. I think. I mean, they're the best team Incredible in hockey. team. Best team in hockey. You and I, I think we're both. Kind of hoping to see a 3 Pete. hoping to see the Tampa Bay Lightning win three in a row for the first time, you know, since I the New York Islanders it did it in the 80s.
1: But I also want, you know, because, you know, for people who don't know, we're here in Edmonton. It'd be great to say we lost to the Stanley Cup champions, right? So, yeah. 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 Well, I guess. Is there solace there? There's a little. It's not a lot, but it it's something.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm always <laughs> intrigued in the different ways that people can find solace. And yeah. if something happens to them, something that well, we can got subsequently happened. We got
1: swept. Right. So it'll be like, hey, yeah, we lost to the best team
0: lost to the best team that that maybe depending on what happens, game five tomorrow night, Friday night, you know, maybe dispatches the avs yeah. or dispatches the lightning in five. We'll have to see. Uh, Ryan says the lightning had. Is this true? Is this true? Ryan says the Lightning had seven players on the ice as they carefully made sure the photo excludes that aspect. I've seen other screenshots where they had eight.
1: This is the thing about the too Uh, many men rule; it's kind of discretionary with the refs, right? Like line changes are happening, happening, yeah. So are they looking at the puck? Are they going right to the bench? Are they? Trying to be in someone's way, yeah. Are they trying to interfere with play? And and so yeah, it's a gray area.
0: It's it's one of those things where if you take the photo, uh, it's kind of like what Jillian just said about you know stand up comedians and jokes taken out of context you can take a screen grab of a moment in hockey it's like when they're in any sport but you know my area of expertise is hockey but it's like when they take a you know you're asking about a hip from behind or a boarding yeah. call or a knee or whatever maybe not a knee as much but when they slow it down to super slow mo yeah. and then you realize what you're actually watching was like a 16th of a second do you know ho-
1: hockey is the fastest sport it happens sport so the fast
0: they're moving at 35 40 kilometers an hour out there just you know all sports are
1: getting faster like you have the controversy right now in baseball where like the umpiring is just horrible this year in the uh in major league baseball and they're thinking of bringing in robots honestly i used to be against it but now like why not put a sensor in the puck like they tried sensors in the uh players jerseys during the bubble uh, to get stats and stuff what like we need to like i didn't know that this game is so much faster now baseball they're throwing so much faster like the human eye it's impossible for you to get everything right. We need to, we need to have more technology to help us kind of make things fair.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, we've also got, and, and want to give a shout out as well. The Memorial cup is happening as we speak and yeah. uh, our hometown, Edmonton oil Kings, the representatives of the Western league, OT which winner. is pretty exciting An OT winner, uh, Jackson Weeb, the center for the Edmonton oil Kings uh, that scored. He uh, becomes the first in, I believe in Canadian hockey league history, uh, to score the first three-on-three OT winner in tournament yeah. history, which it's is like, pretty exciting they stuff. They just
1: changed the uh, the rules for the OT. It's three-on-three. And apparently it was, like, insane. There was, like, shots were, like, seven to five, and there was huge saves, and so yeah. the fans got their money's worth.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I'm not sure how I feel about three-on-three in overtime in, in, in you know, playoffs. I like it. I have a bit, e- well, mm, okay. It makes it, I think it's more exciting for the fans. I'm not sure how the players would feel about it we should probably talk some politics because something tells me that Rebecca Schultz has a pretty busy morning traveling the province. She wants to be the premier and, uh, and I'm sure she's got no problem with hockey talk. We'll ask her in just a second. We're going to get to Rebecca Schultz in, in one minute's time. But first I want to remind you, this conversation is going to be powered by our friends at park power. They're the ones driving our hashtag every single morning, Real Talk RJ, your friendly local utilities provider, electricity, natural gas, and internet. They offer all three, and you can bundle them together if you want to save money on the admin costs. I talked to their executive team, Chris, their CEO. He knows that inflation's hurting people. He knows that people are tightening their belts, and he knows that utility bills are huge for a lot of people. That's why he wants us to remind you about bundling their services and also that promo code when you sign up 2022 real talk it's going to get you 70 dollars off your first bill at parkpower.ca once you've got your relationship with park power and you're also looking to kubi energy so excited to have them out at the golf tournament today you're going to want to remember those two groups those two companies work together Kuby's going to do the cleanest solar install you ever did see on your house maybe it's on your vacation property your cottage you want to get it off the grid And then when it's generating more power than you need in days like today, months like this month, you can sell it back to Park Power for more than the big guys will pay you. It's a great relationship between these two valued sponsors of Real Talk. And speaking of making decisions that are smart for your family, the team at Infinity Healthcare knows what it's like to try to find reliable, perfect fit home care services. Their CEO is a former RN, she saw trends in the healthcare system and said i think we can do better here there were families dealing with cultural or language barriers there were families whose loved ones maybe living with dementia or wanting to age in place under different circumstances were not happy not comfortable with their home care provider and that's what started infinity healthcare it's a family-owned business you can find them online at infinity-8.ca and if you're a licensed practical or registered nurse that's looking for work they're hiring. You can find them under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Our guests this morning, we're grateful to have a few moments of her time to connect with the MLA out of Calgary Shaw. She's just resigned a couple of days ago as Alberta's children's services minister to seek the leadership of the United Conservative Party. Rebecca Schultz, our guest this morning, making her Real Talk debut. It's nice to see you. Thanks for making time for us.
2: Yeah, it's great to, great to see you too. And I love hockey, although I'll admit I kind of checked out after the Battle of Alberta. Mm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I don't blame you. It happened to a lot of my friends. They they kind of felt like and I think that they were maybe lying to themselves a little bit to be honest with you, but they but they you know because obviously who doesn't want to see their team win, you know, compete for the Stanley Cup? But but a lot of them said they felt like that Battle of Alberta was a pretty high watermark for the season. They felt pretty good about that.
2: Yeah, it was pretty good. And I mean, my next favorite teams were the Bruins and the Leafs, so I had high hopes that whoever would make it through, you know, I I would have a really good playoff run, but it didn't really work out that way.
0: <laughs> did you have uh did you have a favorite picked in the Battle of Alberta?
2: Of course Calgary. Yeah. Um but I would still, you know, I I know a lot of Oilers fans that do not like Calgary enough to continue to cheer for them. I would have cheered for the Oilers. Had they, you know, move through the playoffs, but definitely Calgary. This
0: is always an interesting dilemma and you can gauge it in car flags. You can see what's going on <laughs> right when one of the teams is eliminated. You see how many enemy car flags are flying in those cities. Well, listen, it gives us obviously a perfect launch point to start talking politics. I know that a big challenge of yours is is going to be unity. You've, you you want to lead a party right now that there's some pretty interesting stuff going on. We talked to Philippe Fournier yesterday out of Quebec and he's looking at polling numbers He says that the NDP have been dominating the polls for the last while, but then your boss, Jason Kenney, announces his resignation and polling starts to turn around for the United Conservatives a little bit. So how are you assessing the landscape right now as you seek leadership of the party?
2: You know, for me, unity is so important because otherwise we will have an NDP government. And I think that um, really what I hear both from our United Conservative Party members, but also from Albertans is they want to see a competent conservative government lead us through this period of economic growth a lot of the policies that we put in place in 2019 are working. We have more jobs uh, than ever before really when we're looking at the last couple of years. We have diversification of our economy which is something that's been top of mind for people for a number of years. We have the lowest unemployment rate since 2015. Things are looking up, right? People are are planning their summers and kids are back in their activities. People are excited and I think people wanna see some hope and optimism. Uh, And I think really what's most important for me is uniting the party and keeping our, our eye on who the opponent really is which is the NDP in 2023 do you get the
0: sense that uh I mean like how do you assess how Albertans are feeling about the United Conservatives right now like we've, we've obviously you're not the first leadership candidate we've talked to we've, we've had some say that uh, the government or the party anyway owes Albertans apology and apology others have said that there's certainly trust issues there's reputation issues there's damage that needs to be repaired I mean how are you approaching that
2: You know, trust is something I really want to focus on. I think that oftentimes what I hear is people don't expect a government to make the decisions that they agree with all the time. Nobody expects that they're going to agree with every single decision government makes on any on or on any issue, really, or every single issue. So I think where we really have an opportunity is in how we communicate and how we make decisions. And that's really been. Uh, a big part of the feedback that I've heard that people want to hear a different tone. When I talk about hope and optimism, they want that coming from their government. They also want I think a government that really, truly understands the struggles that they're facing as everyday Albertans, and that is really important in terms of how we communicate, uh, to let Albertans know, you know what, we heard you, or to have the humility when we make a mistake as a government, uh, or do something that Albertans really don't agree with, to say, you know what, we heard you, Alberta, we maybe got that one wrong, let's try again. When it... When it comes to
0: the, the the challenge, I mean, you face a challenge um, that uh, Rajan Sani does, that to a certain degree maybe Leela here does, that Daniel Smith, Brian Jean do not. Uh, and that is, I suppose, trying to convince Albertans that you're a breath of fresh air, that you're, you're, you're a new approach here, while at the same time you sat in cabinet, right, through Jason Kenney's administration. So how are you going to convince Albertans that leadership under you would look any different than leadership under the guy that was calling the shots for the, you know, since 2019?
2: Yeah. And you know, it, it. it's true. I have sat at the cabinet table, but I think most people know that I was not in the inner circle or in the boys club that that is very, uh, I think, apparent to most people. Uh, who are following Alberta politics. But at the same time, I've always had a different approach in our office. We have had a unique approach with media. For example, we try to be responsive. We are transparent. We typically don't say no to interviews, right? We want to build a good relationship. And I think that's going to be a huge shift moving forward. But even in my former role as the Minister of Children's Services, you know, I think having somebody who's willing to have the tough conversations to be frank, completely transparent, and address some of the issues that we're seeing so that we can, in fact, try to solve them without layers and levels of bureaucracy and years and years of going around the merry-go-round on policy. Um, People are tired of that. They are tired of talk. They want somebody who will be quick to act and somebody who cares as much about our conservative movement as I do about competent government. I don't know that
0: everybody does know about the old boys club. I think that I think that I I don't know that people know much really about how this government operates because it's not been transparent like it promised it would be. I think a lot of people look at that that so-called Sky Palace photo. If I say it, everybody's going to picture it in their mind. They know what I'm talking about with Jason Nixon and Travis Taves and Jason Kenney and the chief of staff and a couple other people out there on that balcony. Uh, But but what was that like for you? I mean, if you were not in that inner circle, but you've got a a prominent file, you were responsible for dealing with Ottawa and coming up with a child care deal. Can you give us a sense? You know, I mean, if you were indeed on the outside of this old boys club, what it's been like to to serve as the minister of an important portfolio for the past while?
2: You know, for me, it's all about getting things done. I I like to say that my three years working in uh, the public service really taught me how to be collaborative, to get things done for Albertans. And I think the child care deal is a great example of that. Um, that was really where I had a vision and I knew that it was in the best interests of getting four point or four billion dollars back to Alberta of Alberta's hard-earned tax dollars. Was it the perfect policy? No. But, you know, I do know that I was respected uh, and my perspective on that was valued so that I could go and do the good work that I had to do on behalf of Albertans. I think we need to continue to stay focused on what's top of mind for Albertans right now as well. Affordability, healthcare, care, education. Um, you know, people do care, I think, about Fiscal responsibility. I mean, you know, but why? Why do conservatives care about a strong economy? Not because I love GDP and labor stats numbers, but because I care about Albertans, because Albertans do deserve to have a family doctor, you know, in or near their communities that my kids, they're four and seven right now, have a great education, Um, you know, and I want to keep pushing for things like that. But my approach has always been unique. Um, but you know I have also really valued working with community partners and Albertans to get things done
0: uh, one a uh, former, relatively senior or or at least I think popular UCP staffer Ariella Kimmel. And I think most people know that, that there's legal action underway against this this government and, and that's preventing Ms. Kimmel from appearing with us on the show. But she did tweet the other day, I long for days when caring about the treatment of women, abusive behavior, and sexual harassment are about more than just scoring cheap political Points. This government has seen ministers step away to to deal with alcohol issues. There's been questions about the culture of government and what's happening down at the Alberta legislature. Uh, When were you first made aware of allegations about sexual misconduct or other misconduct? And, And what did you as a woman in a position of power do about it?
2: You know, I can't obviously, given that is in front of the courts, I can't speak to specifics, but um, Ms. Kimmel uh, did speak about that and uh, what she said, you know, in terms of my involvement and the timeline and the the steps I took uh, were accurate. And I just want to say, you know, when we're talking about women, especially in the conservative movement, I think a race like this, where we're seeing a number of women step up is very positive. It shows that people want to be part of this party and and want to leave and want to see that, you know, they and their constituents are reflected in the candidates that we see coming forward. So I think that this is an exciting time. And I I do think that, um, you know, part of what I have to offer is I I do believe in an innovative culture. I mean, I think we have to work hard. There are high standards, of course, for making sure that the government is responding to the needs of of everyday Albertans. But um, I just think it's really great to see so many women putting their name forward. And, you know, even on my campaign, I have... Tons of smart, driven, amazing women, uh, largely a lot of them who've worked in my office before, um, but just jump in and help on this campaign. And they're brilliant and hardworking and, you know, certainly respected. Do you think think
0: that that the next leader of the party needs to be a woman?
2: You know, I think that while I say it's, it's very exciting to see so many women come forward. And I know lots of people are saying that they hope to see a woman. And, and I think that's exciting too. I think our party members are going to choose somebody who they think is going to be a competent leader. Um, my hope is that it's not a leader for the next election, someone who can just get us through the next one year, two years, three years, but somebody who can take us through the next 10 years of our conservative movement and bring in a new generation of uh, conservative supporters.
0: Yeah, we uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but Dr. Lisa Young, the political scientist out of the UFC, wrote uh, an opinion piece for the... Uh, cbc yesterday where she talks about women leaders in politics and this so-called glass cliff where a lot of times you know women achieve these positions of leadership right before the party tanks um you know i mean probably kim campbell is is the most obvious uh example she points to manitoba's new premier as well so yeah it's an interesting piece we'll talk to dr young early next week one of the the prominent players in this race hasn't even declared yet uh, and everybody's wondering what Michelle Rempel-Garner's going to do. It's not a formula of guaranteed success, may I point out. Maybe you want to say the exact same thing. You know, Jim Prentice, may he rest in peace, longtime federal politician, smart as hell, came into Alberta, had a tough time. Jason Kenney, federal politician, formidable, struggled, I think, to see his leadership or his style translate Uh, into provincial politics. It's not a guaranteed formula for success that a federal politician can come in and automatically be premier. What are you making of the noise around that potential candidates entry into this race?
2: You know, I think we've seen historically that Alberta leadership races are unpredictable uh at the best of times and so with this many candidates in the race i think honestly anything can happen uh i say whoever wants to put their name forward that is fantastic i think it shows the diversity of the people in our party which is a big 10 coalition and so i would say for whoever wants to run i welcome that but yeah i would say that there's also going to be um different paths for each of the candidates uh who've put their name forward and and there are no guarantees
0: So you released a video just the other day and you know, you, 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 I mean, you know what you're doing, obviously you're a veteran politician, you know how to connect with people and you're you're talking about Justin Trudeau and Rachel Notley and Jagmeet Singh and, 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 you know, you know, these are names or words that are really going to resonate with Albertans, right? Um, But people, there's also people that are going, oh man, like just more of the same. We're just going to keep fighting with Ottawa. We want like a breath of fresh air. We want Alberta to appear to be different on the national stage. How will you put your stamp on this in a way that would reflect Alberta's vibrancy, you know, the young families that move here and live here and work here and not just make Alberta, you know, the perpetual burr under Ottawa's saddle? Do you know what I'm saying? For people that are just sick of all the warring and the fighting and the political saber rattling, how will you actually get things done if you become premier?
2: Well, I think here's one of the things that I do have to offer that no other candidate does, which is successfully fight for a fair deal for Alberta when it came to the child care agreement. I mean, look, I wasn't the first to sign an agreement. Um, I know I was, you know, one of the last few and there was a delay with the federal election. Um, But that wasn't, you know, despite what some would have said around uh, political reasons or, um, you know, posturing, it was really because we had to make sure that we had a great deal for alberta parents and families using common sense and compassion to drive our decisions what i was hearing from albertans is that they wanted to see this child care deal signed they did not want this money sitting in ottawa to pay for child care in every other province other than alberta that wouldn't be good for our parents it wouldn't be good for our economy um but you know i would say through that we got what we needed from ottawa we got uh, a deal that respected and reflected the choices that parents were making we were able to direct more money to low and middle income families uh, and target additional subsidies to those families who really actually do need the help to get back to work those are things that other provinces uh, did not get i just got a call from a reporter last week who said they've heard from operators in three different provinces saying that they wish they had the deal alberta had i mean that is an example of where we can fight and it's about more than a headline or political posturing it was about delivering results for alberta families and for me the priority is always who am i here to represent who am i who am i here working for and for me that's for albertans so i will always defend their best interests but i don't think it means you know fighting with people all the time it's fighting for people to get results how
0: there's a lot of talk though uh, and, and maybe it's one candidate in particular that's furthering this you're, you're going to talk to your team after and be like all he did was ask me about all the other candidates but i'm just curious <laughs> to know i want to know where you're different i want to know how you're different you and i've never gone for a beer I, i've never had a chance to pick your brain there's a lot of talk about alberta sovereignty and we got into this yesterday interesting kind of uh, comparisons right alberta and quebec sovereignty versus nationalism etc but what what do you make of all that talk?
2: You know, first of all, I think we've got to make sure that we're not um committing to things that you know we, we can't achieve. For me, I will never make promises that I cannot keep. Um, I think we need to absolutely push for uh, our constitutional jurisdiction and our constitutional rights in this country, uh, especially if we wanna continue to lead the nation, which I believe we can't. We can't just say, you know what, there are laws we don't like, we're not gonna follow them. I mean, use that example of what happened with um, the federal or the municipal governments not wanting to uh, adhere to the mask bylaws, for example, they were gonna put in their own. Well, the province can just come and say, you know what, the health data doesn't suggest that. We're going to move away from it. The federal government can do that to us. Um, I don't know that that's in the best interest of Albertans. There are absolutely steps that we need to take for autonomy, but I think we need to be realistic and not put Alberta in a worse position, but in fact position us for a better one.
0: Was that a mistake? Do you think in retrospect, the provincial government making those changes to the Municipal Governance Act obviously pissed off cities in in a big way?
2: You know, I do think we need to rebuild uh, relationships with municipalities, whether it's on issues of, you know, you're in Edmonton, you know, urban crime, we have rural crime uh, concerns, things that we need to address with the municipalities. I, I know my colleague, the Minister of Municipal Affairs, is working very hard on that. Uh, but you know what? I also think that at, at some points, the the municipal governments in that case were um, making decisions not necessarily based on data, but on politics. And so, no, I think we made the right call there. Yeah,
0: but I mean, to be fair, I can't let this interview happen without saying that decisions made on politics, not data, is like Jason Kenney's entire legacy. Um, and I don't think I'll bend on that one. So that's fine. We could have a difference of opinion there. I know a lot of people criticized the amount of time it took for Alberta to get that child care deal done when you look back on it, has it aged well uh, in your assessment and if so, how did Alberta get a better deal than other provinces? What are a couple specifics you could point to?
2: Yeah and you no know, like I, I'm very proud of the deal that we signed. I mean it really was the best deal for Alberta and like I said, other provinces now um, there are operators saying, man we wish we had that deal. Uh, the reason why the deal is unique is because about 70% of the spaces here in Alberta, when it comes to childcare spaces, are operated privately. What does that mean? It does not mean big box business childcare. It oftentimes means female entrepreneurs who opened up a childcare center to meet the needs of their community. A lot of other provinces left those out or focused solely on nonprofit uh, or public, which is what the federal government wanted to focus on. I was not about to leave out any parent, family or operator that was already existing in Alberta. And we need the growth in the private sector to continue to drive high quality, innovative childcare Um, And they are able to set up spaces a little bit quicker for a variety of reasons. And so we wanted that included in this plan. The other thing is that, you know, every province, the the federal government wanted to see fees reduced for all families. I said, great, but the money is rolling out over five years. So every province is going to have to make decisions about how that rolls out. After seeing the NDP pilot program for $25 a day, I was not about to pick and choose. Okay, these centers are going to have it. These centers are not. These are the winners. These are the losers. These are the parents who can get it. These are the parents who can't. That was not something I was interested in. So we reduced fees in all spaces, not just licensed facilities, but day homes and preschools as well, because those are parent, those are choices a lot of parents make. Um, and then we were able to add a subsidy Um, you know, that was income tested to add additional supports for families. So has that aged well? Yes, we were not one of the first to sign, but we were one of the first two to roll out affordability dollars to parents, which shows that we were ready. We did the work. We were ready to go as soon as that deal was signed to make sure we were reducing fees for parents. Parents were our top priority because also when we reduced fees for parents, um, we saw the enrollment in child care centers go up, which was of course great for operators. So more to do, but we were definitely one of the first to, to roll out those dollars, get money uh, back in parents' hands. And that was in January, even though the agreement was signed in November. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a different path, but it was a good one because parents in Alberta were saving before a lot of other parents across the country.
0: I know your team needs you in two minutes. And I want to ask you about five things. So let's do kind of a rapid fire here. Uh, Let's try to fit all five. This is like a what would you do with blank? All right. So, So what would you do with Alberta's curriculum review? What would you do with the draft curriculum if you're a premier?
2: I'd keep the parts that uh, we've got good feedback on math, financial literacy, and English. And we need to build trust in that process moving forward. So we'd revisit the rest.
0: Okay. What would you do with supervised consumption services and their funding in Alberta?
2: You know, we have to continue on this path of recovery oriented system of care. We need to focus on a full continuum of supports to make sure that people who need access to treatment have access to those treatment beds. For me, Um, supporting uh, children and youth, especially is is a is a priority. And uh, we need to continue on the work that the government has been doing.
0: But you strike me. You've mentioned data and evidence. I know that's important to you. At least you're saying it is. And I'm sure it is. I have no reason to believe it's not data and evidence shows that supervised consumption services work. Would you commit to restoring funding to those that have lost it?
2: No, what I would say is that it's not about one specific thing. It is about a continuum of care and making sure that we have supports right across that continuum, uh, depending on the needs uh, of people. And so, you know, that that is not something that I'd be interested in right now. I think the government is on the right path. We're working with community partners and municipalities right across uh, this province. And we need to continue to make sure that supports are there for people who need them.
0: What would you do with coal mining or exploration in the eastern slopes?
2: We heard loud and clear that people want to make sure that the eastern slopes are protected. I think that that's important. I, you know, I look at the Alberta flag and I see those mountains and I know how much Albertans care about them. And uh, I think we need to commit to protecting them.
0: Would you index H to inflation? What would you do with AISH supports?
2: You know, that's uh, something that I, I think we could definitely look at. And I also think that In a lot of different areas it's always important for us to review programs to make sure that as many dollars as possible are going towards supporting people and that the people who are needing the most support are getting those supports so um, that is absolutely something that i would look at
0: and do you believe that alberta needs a provincial police service
2: so you know this is interesting i think what we saw uh you know in the media in the last two days uh around the rcmp and what we saw in nova scotia um, I mean, that's something that, again, says the police force is is something that should be looked at. I mean, over the last couple of months, it wasn't something that was a priority for Albertans. Um, municipalities uh, were not necessarily supportive. Again, I think that comes down to how some of the decisions are being made, how they're communicated. Um, what do those relationships look like with municipalities um, and how those consultations take place. And so for me, um, you know, I think a lot of work has to be done in that area uh, before we're willing to chart the path to move forward. But I think, you know, we need to address um, our unique situations, especially when it comes to rural Alberta. So, um, you know, we need to take a look at that recognizing the rollout was not great um, and committing to something before consulting, probably not great. So uh, there's more work that needs to be done on that for sure.
0: Rebecca Schultz is the MLA out of Calgary Shaw. She was Alberta's Children's Services Minister, uh, resigning, of course, to seek the leadership of the party. Thanks for making time for us today. We appreciate your availability.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, you bet. You can let us know what you thought about the interview, how you're sorting this out, if you're either a card-carrying member of the United Conservative Party, or if you're considering buying a membership to participate in this leadership race. We always want to know how these interviews are landing with you. What did a candidate say that caught your attention in a good way or, or maybe a bad way? What's your challenge to those that, that want to serve the province of Alberta as premier in the highest uh, political office uh, in the context of provincial politics anyway, uh, border to border? And we endeavor to speak with all of the leadership candidates that are seeking this spot. We'll see how that works out. Some of them perhaps more serious candidates than others. Uh, it's been interesting to see some of the strategies unfold. You know, uh, Rebecca Schultz there saying, well, here's what it would look like under my watch. Some of these things we did well. Some of these things we we didn't do that well. She stood her ground on a couple of things. Would you, you know, would, would you restore funding for supervised consumption? She says no. She knows where she stands on that. Other ones, she goes, eh, I don't know. I mean, there's other candidates that are making pretty bold claims. Danielle Smith says, you know, she believes Alberta should basically ignore Ottawa and laws that it doesn't like, which is pretty wild. I don't know if you saw this last night. Our Monday regular, Charles Adler, the Titan of Talk, did you see him sort of speaking directly to Danielle Smith on Twitter last night? The two of them? Yeah. Keep in mind, former Chorus Radio colleagues, right? I think of that uh, 2019 federal election in Toronto. And you've, you've got their their chorus talk radio panel analyzing what we're seeing with election results. It's me, Sapria DeVetti, Charles Adler and Danielle Smith on the panel. <laughs> and uh, what a discussion it was. But those two are very familiar with each other. And Charles last night saying, Danielle, don't do this. He says, don't do this. She said last night, you're probably if you didn't see it, you're going, well, what the, what the hell did they talk about, Jesperson? Tell us the story. We'll obviously bring it up with Adler when he joins us on Monday. I wanted to ask him about this because he, he starts talking about lockdowns. Right. Danielle Smith says if if she's elected Premier, Alberta will never lock down again. And Charles basically says we didn't lock down. He says China locked down. We're not China. Right. And uh, he says, Danielle, please don't do this. So that's an, that's an interesting uh, dynamic there. Danielle says, what happened over the last two years must never happen again. Let me be clear, as your premier, our province will never lock down again. He says, 4,591 Albertans were killed by COVID. He says, I'm ashamed to admit that if Xi Jinping, someone who does lockdowns, had been in charge, many, if not most, of those Alburns would be alive. Canada's way of life is to restrict, not to lock down, Danielle. This is Chuck. Please don't do this. <laughs> I love Pretty interesting.
1: We know it's you, Adler. You're yeah, we know it's from you. Your account. But
0: he's saying, he's going, Danielle, it's Chuck. Yeah. And we've had beers together. Don't yeah. do this. Don't Listen do this. Listen to me. Which makes it that much more interesting. So you've got the insiders, Rebecca Schultz, although she says she was not an insider. Same with Rajin Sani says, I was not an insider, but they were ministers, prominent cabinet ministers. So that gives us an interesting insight into the dynamic of cabinets. Right. Mm-hmm. And what it's looked like down at the Alberta legislature. And then you got the so-called outsiders who really aren't outsiders. They're just former insiders like Brian Jean, Daniel Smith. Brian Jean seems to have been kind of quiet lately. <laughs> He's not making as much noise as you thought he might no. at this point. But it's announcement after announcement. Still waiting on a couple to see if those are going to happen, and and then ultimately, you know, I mean, this is a big deal. This isn't someone that's going to step into a party that has one MLA or zero, you know, or ten. They're stepping into a majority government position, but it's not guaranteed, is it? An election probably a little bit less than a year from now, ish, uh, if my math is correct. (laughs) Never trust my math, but you never know. You know, could this be that sort of glass cliff type scenario that professor young's going to talk to us about early next week it'll be monday or tuesday we'll let you know in our sunday message and our email you can subscribe to on our website for free just scroll down to the bottom of the page or will it be you know a party leader a new party leader relatively speaking taking this party into a second term the united conservative party second term let's not discount rachel notley a formidable politician here what are they going to do Right. Interesting notes from Philippe Fournier yesterday from 338 Canada, who says Jason Kenney's resignation has prompted some people who said that they had fallen out of love or out of like with the United Conservative Party. People who said they were going to move their vote, move their loyalties, you know, worst nightmare for a political party, move their donations and their votes. Now, those people are saying, well, if I like the new leader, I might come back. So this is an important leadership race, to say the least. I mean, all of them are really. Let's be honest. Trash Talk touches on this in just a second with Lonnie's email. Before we get to that, though, I want to let you know that our friends at Friesen Brothers, you want to talk about Alberta. I mean, they've been doing business, family owned and operated for more than 65 years, 16 locations across the province, including that stunning, relatively new store. It's just over a year old in South Edmonton, Rabbit Hill. It's our home store. Johnny goes there for the plant-based stuff. I love it. The pizzas. the...
1: They've got a whole natural section that is larger than... Isn't it great? It's larger than most other supermarkets you go to. Yeah, yeah. very
0: cool. They've made that commitment to the Alberta-made products. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of... You know, I've been talking about those Ivan sausages this week. They're going to be serving those on a bun out at our golf tournament today with their big grill. But there's also Alberta made honey and they feature Alberta growers. The produce that they're bringing in, it's always as local as possible. I told you I was talking to the guy that was stocking the eggs cooler last time I was in there. Yeah. And I go, hey, honestly, man, which eggs are best? Because I never know. Does anybody ever know which eggs are best? Like, do you want the comfort coop eggs? Or do you want the free range eggs? Or do you want the brown ones? Or do you want the white ones? Or do you want... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this guy says to me, I told this story once before on Real Talk, the guy says, well, these ones are from half an hour away. I said, good enough for me! (laughs) You can find them online at Friesen.com. At Eden Landscaping, they know that your yard has so much potential. Maybe you know that yourself, or maybe you don't even see it. Maybe you've looked out at that... Boring spread of sod That one lonely tree in the back For so long you've forgotten What it could look like What about an outdoor kitchen? What about a water feature? What about a kind of a sand area For the kids or a pea gravel spot Nice area maybe for a fire pit Mike's done it all with his crew over the last 20 years or so. They're so proud of their portfolio, which you can check out at landscapeedmonton.ca. It's also how you can contact them. It's not too late to get your project started for this summer. We recommend you take your landscaping needs to Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. Our friends at Local Waste... Of course, you know, we're going to be talking about them in just a second, presenting Trash Talk. We wanted to remind you really quick that they're always looking for entrepreneurial partnerships. You hear about their acquisitions in Saskatchewan, northern Alberta, the metro Edmonton region. These are entrepreneurs looking to partner with the family-owned team at Local Waste. And I wanted to remind you that localenvironmental.ca, you can get in touch with them or request a quote today if that's what you're looking for. Proudly family-owned for more than a quarter century. And today, before we get into this... I wanted to tell you two things about the Real Talk Golf Classic. Number one, we're giving away a Jeep today. All somebody has to do is hit a hole in one. That's all that has to happen. And then we're giving away a Jeep from St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Really excited to have them there. And we recommend them if you're looking to upgrade your family's ride, looking for something to pull the trailer, or maybe looking to downsize your horsepower based on fuel prices, they'll meet you where you're at at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Now, John, We do have a chance now to talk about the Dilly Bar Shooter real quick. And I know that you've been looking forward to this for weeks. This is going to be served today at the Ranch Golf and Country Club by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, New Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Are you mentally prepared to have your mind blown? I am. Okay. I'm ready. You realize there's no actual Dilly Bar in the Dilly Bar Shooter? No? No. It's just flavored like a Dilly Bar.
1: I'm going to have to get all the...
0: It's pure exhilaration.
1: Accurate details when I get there.
0: If you're looking for a dilly bar, either the original or the dairy-free dilly bar, you can find it at the Dairy Queen's of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And don't forget to check out Dairy Queen's Chicken Strip Basket. Literally the best chicken strip basket on the market. As my son Wyatt says, literally. (laughs) Now, every Friday, courtesy of our friends at Local Environmental, we give you a chance to get a little something off your chest. Usually they're not this long. Uh, But this one from Lonnie caught our eye earlier in the week. And I said, I think we're going to wrap the week on this. It just gives us something to think about. Agree or disagree. Something to wrap your mind around and maybe comment on yourselves. Trash Talk is comprised of real emails received to talk at RyanJesperson.com. So let's get into this. The tradition we call Trash Talk. All right, this is from Lonnie, who says, uh, I don't know if it's trash talk, maybe it's compost talk. Like, not as angry, but useful. I said, okay, Lonnie, we can work with that. He says, I've been listening to your conversations with Charles Adler. In particular, on Monday, June 20th, Ryan touched on the UCP leadership race and how whoever wins is going to become premier. And that's true. Uh, Lonnie says we need to focus on that. Whoever wins becomes premier. Does that not give anybody pause? Like anybody going, wait, WTF? Like, stop. Let's really think about what that statement says. You know, it's made in full knowledge. I understand current electoral systems and policies. Anybody that says Lonnie doesn't understand how the system works, I do. Right? One party and its members, like how many people? A few thousand people are going to decide the next leader? Like, as I refer to them, the next prime diplomatic representative for the province? Like what, like maximum 10,000 people and like four and a half million? Am I the only one that finds that kind of fucked up in a, in a supposed democratic system? It doesn't sound very democratic. Remember Lonnie said, I already understand how it works. I understand, it, you know, I, but this few people choosing the next leader of the province for everybody else? You know, Ms. Sani touched on this when she was on the show. She unknowingly or maybe knowingly mentioned something that highlights how messed up this is. Uh, she said, you know, to paraphrase, Albertans had their say and rejected Jason Kenney. Well, Albertans, in fact, did not have their say Only United Conservative Party members had their say. Right, So so in that case, a few thousand people deciding for millions of us. Was that a Freudian slip in suggesting that maybe UCP members are the only real Albertans? I mean, is this how people are viewing this party? Are you only an Albertan if you're a UCP member? We've seen this kind of talk before in politics, and it troubles me. One party or a few thousand people should not get to decide for the rest of the population who the next leader will be. Any party that holds the seat of power where their leader no longer holds that position, whether it's through death or stepping down or voted out by members... You know, if, if it's greater or equal to six months or maybe 12 months from a general election, a general election should be called. And by the way, side note, a lot of people want to know from these candidates, if you're elected leader, will you call a snap election? Will you call an election right away, or will you try to put your stamp on it? Back to Lonnie's email, who says, now some are going to say, listen, Lonnie, this is how our system works, right? Okay, we vote for a member in our riding, stop splitting hairs, says Lonnie. Technically correct, sure. But anybody with a pulse knows that when it comes to elections, whoever's leading the party has an impact on who people vote for in their riding. They're not just voting for the local candidate, not even the party, maybe maybe not the leader, who knows, but I mean, this not is so small people voting for the local candidates essentially a rounding error it's the whole chain who you're voting for when you cast your ballot individual party leader the idealized world of separating these things can only exist with independent candidates so alberta finds itself once again in a situation where a fraction of a percentage point of the population is going to decide who's going to lead this province forward who's going to be our representative every Albertan who believes in democracy should find this Troubling. Now, personally, I've always had this belief, but I never really focused on it until Ed Stelmak was elected. My parents were always politically minded. Part of being a responsible citizen, they told me. I bought a party membership for the first time for the PCs. Now, why my parents did this, I guess, you know, they felt the people of the province not having their voice heard. So if one party's just making a choice, they wanted to buy a membership to participate, to have a say. Now, that creates another issue. Having to buy in to have to vote for premier? doesn't feel democratic to me. So the election becomes a way for parties to fundraise. Give us money to vote on who the next leader of the province will be to further enrich ourselves. Doesn't this rub up against corruption? Doesn't it feel like democracy for sale? Lonnie says the moment that Kenny announced he was stepping down, an election should have been called. I don't know about that. All the people of this province should get a say who our primary representative should be to the rest of the country around the world, not just a few thousand people. I realize this is not the world we live in but I really think it should be and then in true Canadian real talker fashion Lonnie signs off Thank you for your time. Lonnie, thank you for your email. Thanks to everybody who participates in these conversations. Love what you hear or hate it. Your voice matters. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. Now, we're off tomorrow. We're taking Friday off because, quite frankly, this afternoon, we're going to have a pretty good time. Raising tens of thousands of dollars for the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. We'll be back at it. Rubber on the road Monday morning. We're going to be talking provincial and federal politics with a cast of characters you will not want to miss. Thanks for liking, subscribing, commenting on, rating, reviewing, and sharing our content. Did I tick all the boxes, John? I think I did. Have a great day, friends. One love. Keep it safe out there. Keep it on the rails. And we'll talk to you on Monday morning.
2: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego, Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Devetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr.